This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, March 18, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. What value does marijuana have as medicine? The politics are certainly difficult, but the science is more clear, at least the science that political institutions allow to proceed. Dr. Donald Abrams is Director of Clinical Programs for the Osher Center for Integrative Medicine at the University of California. We spoke following the Cato Policy Forum, The Politics and Science of Medical Marijuana, held yesterday. This is a medicine that's been a medicine for a lot longer than it hasn't been a medicine. Marijuana was used first in Asia probably three to 5,000 years ago. Recently, marijuana was found in a tomb uh, flowers of a female plant really suggesting that it was there intentionally on a remains of, of a pres- presumed shaman who had been working with the substance thousands of years ago. It was brought to Western medicine in 1842 by William O'Shaughnessy, who worked for the uh, British East Indies Company, who saw the effects of cannabis in India. And reportedly, it was Queen Victoria's favorite medicine for her menstrual cramps. Uh, In the United States, uh, cannabis was licensed and available for physicians to prescribe up until 1942, when it was removed from the U.S. pharmacopoeia. So it really has not been a drug in the United States for only, you know, 67 years, but it was a drug in the world for a lot longer. I think uh, from my work in patients with cancer, it's clear to me that that cannabis is the only anti-nausea drug that also increases appetite. Uh, There is evidence from studies that we've done uh, that cannabis is effective in relieving pain from damaged nerves, so-called peripheral neuropathy. We did that study in patients with HIV. Currently, we're doing another pain study in patients uh, who take opioids, either morphine-sustained release or oxycodone-sustained release, because there's, again, evidence from animal models that cannabinoids boost the pain-relieving activity of opioids in a synergistic fashion, that is, the sum of the two is greater than the individuals alone. So right now we're doing a study looking at cannabinoid-opioid interactions. Uh, you know, research has been stymied basically because NIDA, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, is the only legal source of cannabis for research in the country, and NIDA has a congressional mandate only to study substances of abuse as substances of abuse and not as therapeutic agents. We in California were lucky that we established in, at the turn of the century, uh, a Center for Medicinal Cannabis Research at the University of California, which did fund clinical trials to look at the effectiveness of cannabis in a number of conditions. Three studies, I believe, were looking at neuropathy patients, and all of them demonstrated a benefit. Ongoing studies are also looking at spasticity, particularly in patients with multiple sclerosis, but there is some good good evidence that cannabis works in post-traumatic spasticity too. People who have had accidents and have spasms in their muscles uh, due to that may get some relief. Other people believe that cannabis may be useful in psychiatric conditions, depression, and even maybe schizophrenia. Uh, the, The old belief that Cannabis causes schizophrenia in young people now may actually be related to the fact that young people with schizoid thinking habits find that cannabis is a good medication and they're actually self-medicating as opposed to causing schizophrenia. So I think, you know, glaucoma, another thing frequently mentioned because cannabis lowers intraocular pressure, 
that's one situation where I do believe that we probably do have more useful agents and, and agents like eye drops that have less systemic effects than than smoking cannabis or utilizing cannabis for intraocular pressure. But for some people for whom none of the drops work, if it's going to preserve vision, then I think it's a useful medication. One of the other participants in the forum today drew out a distinction between uh, smoked marijuana, uh, vaporized uh, marijuana, and identifying, isolating, and uh, synthesizing specific uh, compounds right. or, or chemicals within the drug themselves, and and made use that as an argument for these things are the future of. Uh, medical marijuana if it is to have a future. Could you just evaluate that idea? Sure. So we did the study with the vaporizer, the so-called volcano vaporizer, where we showed that it delivered equal amounts of THC into the bloodstream as smoking a cannabis cigarette uh, with less toxicity, and it actually was preferred by the patients. So I think this is a, a delivery system where we do still use the whole plant. I've become somewhat of a student of, uh, number one, botanicals, and number two, traditional Chinese medicine through my work in trying to study marijuana as a medicine. And I know that in Chinese medicine, where herbs, complete herbs are used uh, in many different ways, I know that in Chinese medicine, where complete herbs are used in many different ways, that you choose the whole herb as opposed to extracting a single compound because it's better when it's present in its natural state, that is the yin and the yang of the other components balance out some of the negative effects of some of the components of the plant. And in some ways, they also boost the effectiveness of the plant. So, you know, I am in favor of the plant because I believe it, it's medicine. Now, Delta 9 THC has been licensed and available as Dronabinol, the, the brand name Marinol, since 1986. And we did a study looking at people who smoked uh, cannabis versus those who took dronabinol or dronabinol placebo three times a day uh, for 25 days in our general clinical research center. And there was a striking difference between the patients who took the dronabinol. Uh, they were much more sedated and immobile, if you will, than the patients who smoke cannabis. And when you take uh, THC by mouth, it uh, takes a longer time to reach a level which is much lower than when it's smoked. And also when it goes through the, the liver, a psychoactive metabolite is formed, an 11-hydroxy uh, delta-9 THC, which also has psychoactive activity. So people who take the pill by mouth or who in fact eat cannabis products that are baked, for example, tend to get more of a sedating effect because there's uh, this second psychoactive metabolite that's formed. So, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, extracting the single most active component of the plant and putting it in a capsule is really the way to go. Plus, it removes uh, some of the things that balance the Delta-9 THC and some of the other compounds that may have beneficial medical effects. Work now is going on looking at creating other receptor agonists, that is, compounds that combine with the cannabinoid receptors that we have in our body, as well as cannabinoid uh, receptor antagonists. And, you know, the speaker today was talking about this is the future. Well, it's the future and it's already the past because 
one drug that was developed as a cannabinoid receptor antagonist, uh, Ramonabant, which was found to decrease appetite and maybe even decrease the urge to smoke cigarettes, uh, was found to increase depression and suicide. So the concern is that when you monkey with the cannabinoid system by using these antagonists and agonists, it might not be doing what nature intended. Dr. DuPont, in his presentation today, really started from the perspective of how do we go about the process of approving these drugs? That is a very obviously a very complicated process. But when you're talking about uh, a plant, essentially, that just grows out of the ground, it doesn't strike me as something that ought to have to be necessarily approved uh, for use. Uh, what is the what? What perspective do you bring to that uh, as a, you know physician and clinical researcher? Well, I guess my experience has been every time I've tried to uh, work with a natural product. Uh, you know, I do research in complementary medicines uh, that I haven't actually worked with the the plant. I, I did a study with uh, mushrooms, oyster mushrooms, looking at their ability to lower cholesterol, but we took the mushrooms and we freeze dried them and we put them in a capsule. So it's not the same as eating the oyster mushrooms, but to do that, because we were looking at it for a medical indication, we had to go to the FDA and get an investigational new drug application, a so-called IND, to look at these oyster mushrooms as cholesterol lowering agents. And I said, well, gee, I don't want oyster mushrooms then to become a prescription item. You know, it was, it was a balance here. Yeah, I think you raise a very good question. Uh, you know, one of the reasons that I'm in favor of people using the plant is because, as I mentioned during my comments, we no longer have a healthcare system in the United States. We have a medical management or disease management system, and it's very expensive, largely due to pharmaceuticals. And if there's a plant that's a medicine that people can grow for themselves in their own backyard, then, you know, I think we can really go a long way to decrease some of the costs of, of healthcare. But if we're going to say that a physician is going to be able to prescribe this entity to a patient, then unfortunately, it or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, it does need to be regulated and approved. And the only way to do that is going through the standard route. Now, I've done clinical trials to demonstrate that cannabis has medical benefit because it's a Schedule One agent because it's it supposedly has no medicinal value. Our studies showing that it had medicinal value was published in Neurology, which is one of the most august medical journals, uh, certainly the top journal for neurology, but nobody really picked up on it, the FDA or NIDA or anybody else, to show that, yes, well, maybe now cannabis does has been demonstrated to have a medicinal benefit and should not therefore be in Schedule 1 anymore, which means it has a high potential for abuse and no medicinal use. Dr. Donald Abrams is Director of Clinical Programs for the Osher Center for Integrative Medicine at the University of California. We spoke following the Cato Policy Forum, The Politics and Science of Medical Marijuana, held yesterday. You can listen to the forum at Cato.org.